Totally Classic is a podcast wherein two friends discuss every third rail or topic of interest that they can uncover. Totally Classic is hosted by Brendan McNamara and Andy Swindler. It sounded like you hesitated on the word friends, but you know, I don't know. Well, I was like, I was like, what? type of friend should I classify us as you know what I mean um because my children throw around best friend far too liberally and uh <laughs> it has made me hesitate to use the word in general and I was going to say because you certainly are one of my best friends in the world so I was like, oh, two best friends. But I was like, oh, I like specificity of language. And I was like, man, that's really hard to clarify. And especially as you have uh, a brother you live close to and are close to, um, I think your people's best friends can be their, like I'm probably one of my dad's best friends, if not his best friend. Uh, his brother might be his other competition for best friends. So I think best friends can also be in your family. And so I didn't want to presume I'm also married, and so I generally refer to Archie uh, as my best friend uh, because we cohabitate and share uh, everything for twenty some odd years, and so that's why I hesitated. I didn't, I didn't hesitate because so I was like, uh, friends. I mean, acquaintances, uh, some guy I know. Um, but yeah, specificity of language, specificity, I should say of um, of speech. Hmm? That's right. Smooth transition. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm with that. I actually got into some trouble a couple of years ago for for saying that for addressing somebody as one of my best friends, and then she played it back as being her best friend, and I was like, "Well, that's not what I said." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh God, I'm in too deep here. I, I don't know how to un untangle this without making her feel like crap." So I know exactly. All of a sudden, like actually diminishing the relationship you do have. It's, it's every everything is treacherous waters when you are, are aware of everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wanted to point this out um, uh, as you were kind of giving this wonderful summary of what we're doing here, as and as a segue uh, that this came from an article you shared about which universities mm. uh, have rated as having the best or worst. Uh, we're the the best or worst for free speech i think something like that but yeah. anyway saying uh about columbia university the issues feel the most discomfort expressing oh the issues students feel the most discomfort expressing include abortion racial inequality and vaccine mandates followed by transgender issues gun control mask mandates and police misconduct mm. and i was saying this reads like a table of contents or totally classic. It does. I mean, it's either things we've recorded episodes on already or uh, are kind of in the in the pipeline. So the question of the day, well, actually, what's the final formulation of our question today? What question are we asking? What question are we questioning? Is speech free? Mm. Free speech, of course, one of the tent poles of the U.S. democracy, and one might even say like Western society. It certainly isn't part of every, it's a funny thing because of course I grew up in the U.S., so to me it's like a tent pole of society. 
but free speech is actually not high on many people's uh whatever rankings of importance for for social movement but i do find it very convincing that free speech is monstrously important i am again a traditional i'm a liberal uh so for me free speech is as a, and i'm also like a highly verbal person so free speech is like a, a tentpole tentpole necessity to manage any any system within a hierarchy right or within a series of hierarchies um i, I suppose if we were firmly egalitarian across the board and there really was no if we were sort of almost pre-tribal in our organization i don't know if it would be as important but i think once people like we've talked about a lot start accruing power it becomes vital and i mean vital not just like oh it's really important i was like no literally the society will die without a, a significant degree of, of free speech um so my immediate like bias would say like is speech free i was like well it it it's ding dang well should be <laughs> he says censoring his uh, inclination <laughs> to curse <laughs> yeah and i you know it's probably come out numerous times on this show you know i am somebody who uh tends to conform to suggested or even borderline mandated uh ways of speaking or not speaking mm. that dot 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 un dot 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 mm. so uh i i was saying something along the lines of i i i am somebody who is more likely to conform to language mm. Uh, you know, coming off of the last couple of episodes that, you know, we, we could define as woke in some way or adherent to social justice movements. Mm -hmm. um, and our conversations have uh, helped me, you know, interrogate that, I think, in a healthy way. You know, why why is that? And when is that useful, perhaps? And when is it not? When is it not? You know, when is it maybe not actually serving the the purpose that I hope it might. Um, sure. I think what I, what I often would like to come in on is is sort of the impact of harm, and and the goal of harm reduction, which I think is something we share generally, even though the yeah tactics and definitions are different in some ways. Sure. Um, so yeah, um, you know, and I we may tease out yet another few pieces in this episode around mm. use of language and. You know, even some very specific uh, things like like pronouns. I think that we've kind of bounced bounced in and out of here and there, mm -hmm. without sort of making that the whole episode. But you know, these are certainly, I think, things that are coming up in in our world. You know, yeah. have been for a few years now related to free speech. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, that is well, the harm. Looking at harm might be one of the ways to look at. Yeah, what are what are the restrictions on speech? And I think I generally would fall in the camp of, and I say camp because I do, I think this is something I've thought through, but I think I also listen to other people thinking about it and probably am influenced by their thinking that speech that 
compels harm would be speech that is appropriate to restrict. Now, what I mean by that though is specific. I would classify, I think this is where you get into, this is the, this is the rub where what is classified as harm. I mean, to me, harm would be demonstrable um, by, I guess, by objective means harm, meaning uh, something you could photograph, uh, something <laughs> you could x-ray. Um, I think people are allowed to say, for example, emotionally abusive things. I think someone can call someone else a, you know, a disgusting little pissant. And uh, I don't think that's appropriate. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd prefer that people not speak to each other that way. But people can say, like, directly assaulted speech to one another. Um, and I think that's fine. I mean, in terms of what speech I think should be free. But I think once uh, speech directly compels verifiable harm, for example, you disgusting little piss ant, uh, I'm going to, oh, come on, don't bring a cat out. It gets too cute. Uh, you can't put a cat in front of me while I'm talking about piss ant. All right, now I have to think about harming a cat. Great. Um, you disgusting little piss ant, uh, I'm going to smash your face in, for example. Or you disgusting little piss ant, hey, uh, Rogerio, who's my henchman in this scenario, uh, smashes smashes hand with a hammer. Um, compelling harm, telling people to harm, is uh, is where it, it it verges into the realm of where I feel like speech. You certainly are free, but I do believe there should be consequences when you are directly threatening someone's uh, life in in that sense. Um, but it would have to. But to me, again, it has to tether to objective, uh, or else I think speech would be stoppered far too early. Meaning yeah. you, could claim, you could claim anything is harm, right? This kind of goes to that. But again, I'm, uh, I was thinking about this recently. I don't even remember the movie, The People versus Larry Flint, Woody Harrelson, Courtney Love, uh, Ed Norton, uh, Milos Forman uh, directed. Uh, I was thinking about that recently and I was like, man, I feel like that movie would be received so differently nowadays where the whole contention was like Ed Norton playing the lawyer uh, was like, I don't like what this guy does or says. I don't, I don't like it. I don't know if it's helpful to society. <laughs> right. But I, I honor respect and I deeply believe in his right to say these things. So obscenity laws, I think in general in American in US history is where we've most often got into this, even more so than like threatening speech. I think generally we agree on threatening speech. You brought up earlier the the thing of like, well, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, right? You can't you can't prank people so that it would cause not just psychological harm, but the, the thing of saying fire in a crowded theater means people would be trampled. They would literally suffer physical injury as well as psychological trauma, like alongside their, their actual injury. Whereas if you say things that just people hate or don't like or causes them psychological trauma, I was like, that is, we, we have to, I think we have to have a, a phenomenally wide, if not infinite uh, birth of people being able to say hateful and disgusting things or do terrible things. Um, uh, in the realm of free speech or art or even nonfiction or whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's why I think where I generally, generally fall on it. So then is speech free? Sure. But is, is uh, spoken speech free? I mean, it is, 
but it it has to be ultimately it has to be responsible, and then figuring out the boundaries of responsible, I guess, are the are the most difficult. That's that's the difficult uh, burning edge of it, the bleeding edge. I like that framing, and um, we may notice when I pick the question, we're slightly less organized because Brendan likes to put together these wonderful outlines. <laughs> A bit more emergent yeah although the, again to credit you the outlines were your idea well I, i'm great at ideas but you know, <laughs> those, i got those all the um, yeah yeah but this you know it is my nature probably to be a bit more emergent so i'm hearing the question come out maybe as a, a starting point as we like to actually start the conversation 30 minutes in um is something like well what is the value of free speech why why ought free speech why ought speech ought to be free yeah why ought to be free, there it is. Yeah. Um, why? Why would we have, have, as you said earlier, built that as a pillar of Western democracy in America? Mm -hmm. Why is that so important? And not to necessarily unpack all the historical stuff, but like, well, what is the benefit? What do we perceive as the benefit of that? Yeah. In some ways, it's great because it's, especially again, if you had an eye, not that I necessarily do, but I have at least partial. I have one eye towards the imperialistic uh, dominant domination elements of uh of any hierarchical society uh which i don't think are in the forefront we probably disagree on that but that's fine like but they 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 exist those elements render free speech monumentally important because free speech then it allows every human being who can speak or communicate in any way to exercise their individual power and it restricts those in power from restricting them in their capacity to, to use their power, because I think other, if you restrict speech, you essentially are, you begin to uh, restrict thought, which is, I mean, to me, it's just so beyond the pale. Um, but we're in that, we're already in that zone as a society right now, where people, this is one of the things the article uh, that we were reading for the New York Post about a recent survey about colleges, so much of that uh, free speech uh, frowned upon or smiled upon was about people's uh, reports of self-censorship, which means when you begin to censor speech, literally, or impose impositions on speech, people begin to self-censor. And then once people begin to self-censor too much, I think we all do it naturally. But once people do it too much, uh, it becomes, it, it really actually just lends power to the, whoever the loudest group in the room are. So in some ways, I think it's fascinating that people set up in the in the U.S. anyway, set up a society wherein the people writing it were going to be take the ones in power, and they were setting up a device by which their power could be subverted, argued against, like would have to be proven or disproven over and over again whether their power they retained was legitimate. And I think in many ways that's like it's. It's it's the reason it's in the First Amendment, Larry. Like this is the most important thing. We at the very least, people have to be able to speak against us if we start doing it as poorly as those we just overthrew did. Which at the time was radical, and to yes. this day, there's lots of places in the world where you can't openly insult the leader of the country, right? Oh, oh yeah, no of some incredible uh, negative consequence yeah so you know that's okay so we can celebrate that 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 is a valuable use of free speech uh, yeah to, to I, I i don't know uh to 
try to mitigate the the, the inevitable abuses of power, um, and that we have somewhat successfully <laughs> accomplished that in, in America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's a it's a wobbly, it's a it's a wobbly plane, but we're still in the air. But you know, like you know, I I don't I don't know of too many overt cases where you know I don't know like late night comics right they're constantly beating up the president um and everybody yeah. else i don't i don't yeah. know of any overt cases where they've been sanctioned or censured or yeah not not in our lifetime i think it certainly happened i was funny just watching the elvis movie and being reminded of now it's you know it's an exaggerated rendering this is the Boz lerman one um you know where he was censured like by the government uh, for the, his style of dance, <laughs> for like his hip wiggling, you know. Ooh. So I was like, yeah. So we do, we you know, we have lived through as a culture in in recent, quite recent history. You know what I mean? Uh, with speech being restricted, um, I would say in many ways we can look at uh, speech being restricted by the government. We probably will get to this. It is, it's happening literally right now to a degree that I think should shock and horrify. Uh, every single citizen. Many people don't seem to care at all. Um, but I would say, like, for the Black Panthers is a fantastic example. Stockpiling weapons, totally, often legally, mostly legally, so really no no problem there. Just exercising their, their Second Amendment rights, the second most important thing in being able to enforce, like, the maintenance of the previous rights makes perfect sense. But then most of what the Black Panthers were up to that seemed, and everyone was so angry about, uh, was what they were saying. And that they were, and saying yes, and so I would say, sir, I've read enough speeches that you know, occasionally it ra it ranged into the realm where I was like, oh, you threat, you literally threatened. That was threatening. That wasn't threatening out of a cause of if they do this, then we will do this, right? In the Malcolm X sense, where it's just like we should be armed, and we will, by any means necessary, defend ourselves. If you're talking about defense, I think you can do it all day long. But if you're talking about we need to overthrow or attack or blah 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 i'll listen to it all day long and i will support it and i would defend you in your right to do it but i can also see sensibly how people were like oh that would be bad but i would say generally the the speech of the black panthers was not outside of the realm of what should be completely uh, allowable and i think it's a shame upon our uh, it's a stain upon our history that the fbi the u.s government was actively involved in sort of essentially treating the the First Amendment like trash and treating free speech like trash when they didn't like the messages that were being spoken. So we have plenty of examples where it's, you know, it's been it's been run roughshod over uh, to to serious harm to like legitimate harm where they murdered leaders of the Black Panthers like in their home, you know, so we're not I, I think we are in a generation where I think it's just I think it's starting to rise up in a different way now. Um, in, in a, but it's heading in a similar trajectory. But I wasn't alive when the Black Panther, Panthers were on the streets handing out free meals and educating young men and women. So, um, but it has peaked up, you know, over time. And I think probably once every generation or two, it seems to hit another zenith where all of a sudden we question, we start questioning it. Um, and I think there'd be many people who would have supported the U.S. government in that era as well. And be like, well, there's too much. There's type, certain types of radical speech. It's just too dangerous. You just can't let people even start talking that way. I was like, nah, I don't, I don't know. We can't, we can't thought, we don't want to thought police to that degree. We got to let, we got to let it happen.
you gotta let people say it. And in some place, the marketplace of ideas, you're like, we'll kind of work it out. It'll be like free market capitalism of ideas. That doesn't always work. Let's be honest, because people are sold things that destroy themselves. You know what I mean? People, we, we, we're a phenomenally obese culture because of the free, free speech of advertising. <laughs> so it doesn't always work out, but in some ways that's kind of the risk you take to subvert a much more malevolent evil. You know what I mean? Where if we got a whole bunch of fat people, yes, more people are going to die. So I understand the pragmatism of it. But if you have like, for example, US agents breaking into someone's house and shooting them in the head, I was like, that's, well, that's much more verifiable direct harm. So I'm, at least for me, I'm able to stand sort of on that side of things. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Black Panthers. Um, I mean, I still have a lot to learn about them, but so somehow I would just say that the like stigma in the story that I absorbed was a negative one growing up. Like, oh, the Black Panthers, dangerous. And yeah, without, yeah, yeah. Without, I don't even, yeah. I don't think, I don't, I don't honestly don't remember ever like reading about them in like a history class, but just somehow, you know, it was in the air. And then eventually realized and, and learning that I was like, oh, they were, they were like mostly about like breakfast for kids. There was a lot of, yeah, it was a lot of grassroots oh, organism. Yeah, yeah. And just saying like, look at the, our imperialist, the imperialist tendencies of our government, both internally and externally. And sure, they were communists. Ultimately, there was like a Marxist stream. So then there was that weird, like, we have to defeat the communist men menace down to the, the realm, like to the level of ideology. But I just feel like, no, that's not appropriate. People are allowed to speak whatever communist or anti-communist gobbledygook that they would like. That's that's really, that's that's the whole thing. Communist tripwire, I find to be incredibly distracting when we're trying to talk about democracy. It is, man. And again, I like the great thing about communism is just like, well, again, the market as in the marketplace of ideas. Like it just hasn't worked that great. So people are going to be interested again and again because there are aspects of the idea that make perfect sense. So then you're going to be like, well, maybe we should try it, but this way. Okay, sure. Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? Shouldn't? And that's the whole thing of like a, an, a relatively open society in this country is like, let's be open to the, the multiplicity of ideas. And honestly, the challenge, the mutual challenge of the multiplicity of ideas is one of the things that drives innovation of ideas. You want you want different ways to solve problems constantly in the marketplace, right? That's what drives the innovations of Silicon Valley or whatever, flipping whatever. <laughs> you know, in a city, that's why cities thrive in producing more uh, more rapid innovation than anywhere else because you have a bunch of people trying to solve problems sometimes in opposite and and divergent ways. So I think I think. I think free speech is is quite beautiful. And I think that's one of the things that we talk about in here too, that I'm genuinely concerned about where people's self-censorship has gone beyond that, which I think is, is appropriate, where people are starting to just abandon the freedom of speech within themselves. And that would be of great concern to me. Like if I try to imagine like revolutionary individuals that that they were like, well, society at large is kind of inclining the fact that we should probably quiet down. So let's go ahead and take these berets off and just, you know, we'll just feed the kids. We'll just do the lunches. We won't talk about the stuff that gets people really upset anymore. You'd be like, what, what, what are you doing? Like the revolutionary spirit, like it or not. And something I really, depends how, you, I don't know how the world feels about it. I like it. <laughs> I like the revolutionary spirit, which is like, whatever the status quo is, we should be always ready in any section to be like, no, no, I don't get it. And I have to be careful personally of like, I don't want to devil's advocate all the ding dang time, but like, if I really understand it, understand the opposite point of view, like we, I think we should be ready to, to proclaim that 
And I was concerned when I saw that college students aren't doing it. I was like, of anybody. I mean, that's like, to me, that's one of the most essential elements of the college collegiate experience as, you know, is like high pontification, like weed philosophy it could be or whatever, but like sitting in a, like outside your dorm room and in, a, in a, like a common area and then just arguing stuff out like till two in the morning until you order breadsticks from Papa, Papa John's, you know? That's like, we, that's what, that's where we should be bashing our heads against all these things and arguing with our professors and really figuring this out. But again, I think argument is one of the best ways to arrive at a solution the fastest. So, and other people do not feel that way. They don't like it. And who knows, you might be planting the seeds for a podcast that you'll launch 26 years later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't know. Yeah. Um, so something <laughs> as this outline continues to emerge, I, I, you know, I like playing around in this space of not only what do we perceive as the benefit of free speech, but what are some examples where it may be free or, or we perceive it to be free? And then, mm. say, of course, where is it not free? I think we you touched on that with the Black Panthers. Um, I'm thinking, you know, a lot of what I read about, you know, colonialism is is even just looking at the nature of the English language I and mean, the language that we're, mm -hmm. of course, we speak here in America. And we've, we've exported or demanded a lot of the world kind of adhere to. Um, so that's an intriguing frame for me. Like when yeah. we're talking about speech, it's like, well, assuming we're talking about the English language, which is the only language I speak, uh, for for worse, I won't even say for better or worse. I'll just say for worse. Um, uh, you know, is true is total uh, total free speech possible within the constraints of a colonial language? You know? Yeah, in an absolute sense. Well, and but but that stretches. I mean, I think yes, that it it places a what some would say is undue demand, but certainly a demand especially when you're like, I'm self-censoring my natural language in my head in order to be able to speak in your language, which is now the common language for by, for whatever reason, uh, conquering, which is just how human beings gain whatever resources or um, whatever whatever means, right? Nefarious or otherwise. Um, so that's a, it's a form, I mean, translation is a form of self-censorship uh, as it is. But then of course, language is a form of, <laughs> of sort of censorship or, uh, in that censorship can be that is limiting of freedom is the selection of which thoughts one has that one expresses so we're kind of caught in that quagmire endlessly so in some ways i don't know like is translation actually helpful like is since i only speak dominantly one language one one would have to choose one's language more carefully when you're like i i'm I'm having to tread very carefully in how I express this. I need to find the correct words. Whereas I being, I think, relatively fluent in a single language, feel much more free to just censor myself almost almost not at all. It's something I'm exploring in my own life on a on a day-to-day -day basis on how to how to self-select the thoughts I express. Um, because I generally, as a human being, and I admit this boldly, which I've I've done and I do a Instagram devotion. I've been talking about this on there recently, that I don't know which thoughts of mine are most important. It's one of the reasons I talk, I talk a lot. I don't, I have a, like when I, even when I write sometimes, especially in the nonfiction realm, if I write a, a paragraph of 12 sentences, I don't know which is the most important. I think, I think more like an artistic person, which is like you paint a painting and 
75 people could come look at your painting and every single one of those 75 people will have a favorite part that they feel of that painting that they think that's what it's about. Yeah, it's this, here's this person in the foreground, but look at this person, the face of this person in the background. That's what the whole painting's about. Everyone's going to have a different interpretation. So I think I think of that, my own thoughts that way too. I was like, I don't know. I'm just going to say all the things that I think are true or things that I've apprehended to be true, which is a different layer. And then kind of let the rest sort, sort them out. So self-sorting, I, I have a general resistance to, but I do recognize in translation, in, in speaking the imperialist language, the, the, uh, the colonial language, um, as well as any version of self-censorship is, is a pragmatic approach that we ultimately do and or should do probably in everything that we say. Yeah, and you're making me think about how much I edit myself. Mm. I mean, it's a lot. <laughs> Again, as I said in the in the beginning yeah. of this episode about just how much I perceive that my my language and my misuse of language or or mm, learned use of language yeah. uh, could harm people. At, at, a, at an absolute minimum, kind of hurt their feelings and and perhaps more so trigger some deeper trauma or um, create distance our, between our relationship. I think that's actually one of the sure we're yeah all of and probably doing a lot and perhaps even yeah more related to the trauma like debilitating some something mm -hmm. uh, some agency they may have in in the world. Um, and that's a lot. That's a lot of responsibility. That's that's actually as I say all that, I'm like, well, it's kind of arrogant to think I, I, my words might have all of that impact. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to be able to shift the foundations of your reality. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> Am I really having that impact? Does it really matter? Uh, and I think something you're these kind of these conversations with you have helped me realize is, of course, there's no, well. I've been saying this for a while, and I think we agree with this. There are no monoliths um, <laughs> without without veering all the way to the word nuance. I just, of course, oh, there's you know, like one great thing, definition, objective definition that that clarifies everything. As much as we we may actually both wish there was, I don't know. I, I sense that there's a, <laughs> a desire to find the answer. Yeah, um, yeah. I think but, it's our task as human beings is to discover it. Indeed. Even if even if it's a forever search, <laughs> and and so for me, I, I I don't know. I'm just pondering that in the moment about how much I self edit, how much I can beat myself up when I feel like I've gotten it wrong. Um, those of us who who do engage, oh, interesting, yeah, you know, uh, pronoun usage in the way that um, somebody may wish to be, uh, you know, referred to as a a, a pronoun. Um, it's, I observe it all the time now. I mean, I hang out in, in diversity, equity, and inclusion spaces where that's common. Mm -hmm. When we misgender someone or mispronoun someone, it's it's so the common reaction I, I notice, and I and I, so I I see it myself. Although now that I'm seeing it more so in others, I'm I'm trying to choose compassion over over berating. Okay. Um, and now, certainly, I've heard yeah, stories. Yeah. That really happened to me. I've heard stories of people berating each other for for mis, mis misuse of pronouns, and that's a whole sure. story. I don't I don't want to tug us all the way into this rabbit hole. I think we'll probably do an entire episode about this phenomenon. Yeah, um, but a little bit about the editing part because it's it's just a lot. It's a lot to hold, and I yeah. do feel there's a compassion there, and not only 
as I view it, for the other person to just say, oh, you know, it's all, it's it may be, I think it's deeper, but let's say it's 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 in the same category as a nickname. Like, oh, this person prefers to be called this thing. So I'm just gonna try to remember that, try to honor that. And mm -hmm. you know, that, that's kind of what they choose. Um and what I so there's the compassion for them, and then there's the self-compassion of like when we for those of us who are trying to do that, when we make a mistake, uh, you know, saying, okay, it's okay. I'm human. I made a mistake. And even mm -hmm. if, you know, if I would say address that, try to repair the harm, if that's available, um, just kind of accept the impact. Uh, but what I don't know, I don't necessarily think is healthy is, is what I see a lot, which is really a self berating, which is like, oh God, it's just like this. Yeah, sure all like oh ah, damn it like I'm, a, I'm an idiot you know like yeah i don't think that level of self um yeah flagellation or flagellation, yeah. I think that's what i'm looking for thank you uh is 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 the answer either you know there's got to be somewhere in between yeah well that's interesting too because then it's because then you are in some ways you have then accepted a limitation on your speech of like my I, basically i'm not free to do that i mean i'm free to do it in the same way that like i'm free to do illegal things like i'm i'm free to go outside and like lure all the puppies on my street out and break their necks or whatever i'm free to do that but i think rightly i should suffer consequences for such a thing um and i would hope i would feel some sense of shame or even self-castigation to some degree if i did such a thing so it's interesting then to then hear and recognize and start to wrestle with like, what are my boundaries individually? This is really a question for anyone listening to ask yourself, like what boundaries do I place on my speech? Like how, how free do I allow my speech to be? And that's even with the presumption of whether that's helpful or not. I, I would, I would firmly stand easily that free speech is, is the greater good in, in most circumstances. But I think we're also different people, you and I, so this is always good to talk to you because I am less prone to self-editing um, and I have far more moments in my life that I can recall immediately now of times where I castigated myself for failing to speak than I ever have anything where it's like, oh, I said something and I shouldn't have said that. Like, I don't, I don't have those really. I, I couldn't tell you a single one. I'm sure I do. I'm sure I have them if I like spend some time with it, but I can instantly recall three or four circumstances where I didn't say something and I should have said something. So for me, the, the far greater danger is, is withholding true speech. Oh, I, I, I am completely aligned with that as somebody yeah. who's often been soft-spoken and, you know, even in classes, like not necessarily raising yeah. my, which is a strange intersection with, you know, how I how I view my identity as a white man, because that's typically associated with somebody who is, especially in schools and corporate environments, who they're they're always speaking, they're always heard, they're always talking over people, they're always, um, you know, somebody maybe a, a woman or a, a marginalized person of some identity may say something. Nobody hears it, and then the white man says it, and everybody hears it. I mean, these are some of the oh, you know, funny, yeah, 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 common kind of stories, and and it's 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 strange for me because that's not really my experience. And you could say, well, that's I just didn't exercise my privilege to do that, and I actually don't 
disagree with that. I think that's probably true. But that's my, that's possible, that's my yeah. nature. My nature is to speak last, to speak, you know, quietly. Um, yeah. Which is probably one of the reasons I've gotten so interested in facilitation because it makes the there's an art to designing sort of how how a group you know speaks speaks mm -hmm. together. Yeah. Um, but I remember this. I feel like maybe this came up, but even in college, I remember a couple of teachers kind of like <laughs> pulling me aside and being like, you know, the, the class would be better if you spoke. You know, we yeah, want to. Yeah. And I think going all the way back then, it was fear. I mean, I just have mm. this fear. Maybe we could label it as perfectionism or something like that. Mm. Um, yeah, like I, I that I, that's interesting to unpack. Like I, I feel like it goes way back for me. I don't exactly know where it comes from, but some kind of fear of not saying the right thing. Yeah. But I'm with you. Like whether it's that kind of situation where I just didn't, I don't know, voice an opinion, which would have been like a tear in the in the rain. Um, <laughs> Like who cares in a class, you know, say your opinion. <laughs> like yeah. Like that is to your point, I think, but I want to loop back to schools actually. Like that is the place to do it. That is that ought to be the playground that is yeah. the most open, I would think. Um, to just really say, say, say what's true and what's on your mind. But then but then the other one that comes up for me is times, and this this is a funny way this intersects with social justice stuff, is you know, times when uh maybe I didn't lean into my my ability to be an ally you know if i saw something that wasn't that didn't feel right or i just saw a power imbalance or something that or or most importantly probably wasn't adhering to the community agreements or community norms mm -hmm. that we had yeah yeah that's hopefully pretty much always the guiding light because it's because that's the stability for any community like what are our values what are our agreements what are our norms yeah I, I see things wait, go off the rails all the time when when people sort of throw those out the window it's like yeah yeah oh yeah, we, we yeah there's those agreements but but in this moment you're wrong because of this and it's like yeah but that's not we that, that doesn't you know that's not in alignment with what we actually had as our agreements so i think that's challenging um but there's certainly times uh when i have uh yeah and but it's funny we, you say that because i i would say that's true for me too but I'm much more concerned about the things that I didn't say than the things that I did say. Yeah. And I feel like that's like an edge. That's part of my my goal in this show. I think even I stated in the beginning was to be more open and be more direct and be like less edited. So it's it's interesting to finally get to this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. And I'm trying to figure out how to head the opposite direction. And and I probably will end up speaking just as often but I don't have to speak as much. But for me, I just go mining. Ultimately, I go mining like a digging, like a, a rabid thrifter <laughs> in, a, in a bargain bin into my head and just like pull out all the thoughts and chuck them all around. And I don't always know how useful that is. But again, I'm, I'm more of an artist. So I'm just like, I'm just digging around on my conscious and subconscious and throwing all the stuff at the, out. And then anything that's useful to people, great, grab it, use it, go for it, you know? Um, but that also is a way too to avoid the same thing I think you've talked about, which is I think I have a fear of, I guess I wouldn't call it privilege, but power. I have this, this strange hesitation that like if I use my power too directly or too succinctly, I see myself, what if I became obsessed? My concern is what if I became megalomaniacal? Like what if I became obsessed with then like 
artfully crafting my speech so as to manipulate people. I think I have that like megalomaniacal or um, tyranny, fear of self-tyranny, or the, not even self-tyranny, but fear of tyrannizing, uh, tyrannizing others. Um, but in some way, that's also just, that's a fear of like stepping into whatever the fullness of my power is. And that's probably also one of the reasons actually to connect that, why I don't like the whole privilege thing at this point in my life, especially where I'm like, hold on a second. I am just starting to step into the idea of like exercising power. And then there's an ethos that's like, it's not your turn. And I'm like, no, F you, it's, it's my turn. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just starting to do this. I'm starting to be like, no, this is, this is it. This is what I see. And, and to be like, no, I'm good at it. <laughs> so if I'm good at it, then no, I won't be setting it down. So anyone else can learn how to do it because I've, I've been alive for 40 some odd years and not doing it. You know, I think it's also one of the reasons I don't make eye contact very much when I speak. I feel like there's this, there's this click of, there's this use of power element that I find a little, this is the danger of speech. Like I know how powerful speech can be and I know how powerful direct communication can be. And I know how manipulatable human beings can be. And I was like, that is a, it is, this is the danger of, of speech generally or free speech in total, you know? Mm. So who, so who gets to speak freely these days? I don't know. I mean, my whole life, it's so funny when you're like men, supposedly white men do it. And I was like, oh man, I don't see that. I think women speak much more freely throughout my lifetime. Um, women speak much more freely than men. Uh, every woman who I know who speaks freely in my life has a more like a greater problem with being interrupted. I'm married to someone who has this problem now uh, or like doesn't like it at all. Like it sets her off. Um, whereas I've watched men be interrupted like always my entire life. Um, and then they just go quiet. So I think that's one of the things, again, these, like some of these pushbacks about uh, privilege and power. I'm just like, I feel like you're a generation too late. <laughs> I feel like I feel like growing up too. People were like, you know, the sort of we were in the late the late bloom of the sexual liberation movement, and people were like, you know, women can act like men, you know, just sleep with whoever they want. And I was like, who are you talking about? Like, who are these men that you're talking about? Like, I literally I can name two people, like amongst all the men I've ever met, who are like sleep with whoever they want people, like kind of whenever, like casual sex people. And maybe, and I've lived in cities. I've lived in LA for twenty some odd years or whatever. I lived in right outside Chicago. Um, so I was like, what? who are these people? Like, I feel like you're responding to something that you have programmed in your head about a, a generation ago. And it may still somewhat be a problem, but I don't know what you're talking about. And so I think in the modern society, I don't know what people are talking about where men are like super domineering. Every, but again, I'm, I'm an artist, so maybe I know a ton of sensitive dudes who are constantly like very aware of like how they push into like especially women's spaces or smaller people's spaces or quiet people's spaces or whatever. I've had a whole lifetime of like intestinal discomfort over like how much personal power I may have and how I'm using it in the world. So I think the idea of being like, yeah, it's, it's not your time to talk. It's time for these people to talk. I'm a little bit like, what, what do you mean? That's been forever. Like, wh 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 where, where is this happening? You know? And that's probably, it breeds into my skepticism generally the sort of power privilege dynamics where I'm like, well, I haven't witnessed it personally. So I do have to see the data because it was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. You know, and it, and it all relates to speech where I was like, I, I plenty of people, I, I, I couldn't and I wouldn't identify some sort of gender or racial characteristic 
such that like white dudes or whatever talk the most. I talk a ton <laughs> and I am those things, you know, but again, I have no power. Like I, you, you, for example, as someone who speaks less and exercises his verbal power less often uh, has been placed into far more leadership positions than I have. Hmm. So I was like, I don't, I, I, I don't know. But I think the cool thing is speech is if you have the capacity of speech, you are you have power. Like in some ways, it's one of our I think the, the pen is mightier than the sword or the, the tongue is uh, mightier than the pen, perhaps. Um, like this is it, it is an exhibition of power. So anyone who can speak can do it. And the people who can't speak also find ways to to, uh, to communicate. Um, but I think being lacking a voice generally, being mute or as dumb as we used to say it, we just don't say it because now it's like a also an, it also means something else. Um, that's a powerful problem. My sister, my little sister, is twelve and she's dumb, um, meaning she 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 does not have the the ability to speak, and it is a massive concern for myself, for my dad, her dad. It's like that's that's a problem when you cannot speak and you can't. So then just, just surely for the, again, the harm levels to not be able to then communicate when you're being harmed. So like, mm. for example, if you, so like if bad things are happening to her, like the, when I was a kid, it was like the uh, Webster commercial about child abuse. You say, no, you go and you tell two of those involve speech. So just even like preventing harm. And this is why the freedom of speech is so important. We can speak about our harm. So even if you say something to harm someone, they have as much power as you to say, cut that out. Don't do that. And then you can together use speech to kind of like get out of your own, make your thoughts reality and your thoughts can dance. So then we can influence the way we think. I mean, that's just, it's so powerful. It's so amazing. Yeah, well, a couple of things I'll touch on. Well, you know, one is, I mean, I've certainly heard plenty of stories uh, from women about being being talked over or not, not giving given uh, much space to talk and things like that in workplace culture. Yeah. It's fairly common, but I can't, you know, cite data. And I always appreciate you bringing us back to that. Not as the only lens, but as an important one. Like, hey, yeah, yeah. I just, if you don't have personal experience, I was like, that's just where I go. If I was like, I don't, I've never seen that happen. So I, I don't know. I mean, not that I've never seen a woman be interrupted. I've certainly seen women be interrupted, but I've seen men be interrupted far more often. And I also, as a man, it doesn't bother me as much also. So then I was like, is there a social uh, aspect where I am? more used to being letting my thoughts play so it doesn't bother me uh, but not i've been interrupted my whole life my dad is an interrupter so <laughs> like notoriously oh this is so fascinating to, to get to because I, I i i'm sure i've written in in a few journals that i am highly interruptible um, <laughs> some of the same reasons i mean i i yeah I don't seem offended by it for whatever reason I, you know maybe once in a while i mean if i'm it's just there's a lot of contextual things that might lead me to be annoyed by it if you know if i'm on a roll or if i'm or depending on the person or whatever but yeah. but for the most part no i i feel like we may share that characteristic and i think it also has to do with maybe this ability to like catalog our our thought streams in a way that, that yeah seem to have in common and, and so it's kind of like that's that's one thing i perceive with some people who seem just so like anxious they're like oh my god i have to say this thing right now or else it'll like be totally gone like okay yeah yeah, yeah. and then that, that oh that's interesting that's really cool because then well that might actually classify it too in which case women notice being this is just a theory but like noticing women noticing they're being interrupted more often there could be i don't know a tendency in the female brain 
to pursue thought in a particular fashion, let's say in a more inter interwoven fashion or in, in a more energetic or into intuitive fashion. Whereas if, I don't know, my mom always says this, so this is leaked into my brain. She's like, you know, men's brains are like boxes, are like little boxes next to each other. And women's brains are like spaghetti. They're like things, there's a lot of tendrils and things connect to other things. And she's probably speaking about her brain. Um, and then the brain of the, like the boys in her house or whatever. But there is something to that in a 10, again, not a, this is not an absolute statement about any gender slash sex, but a, like a, perhaps a tendency. Whereas if someone was, yeah, they would like, oh, I'm, I would, and Archie, my wife says this all the time. Don't interrupt me because I'll lose my thought and then I'll never get it back, you know? Whereas I'm like, if you interrupt me going in the same direction, then I'm just like, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little, maybe I'm a little ADHD where I'm just like, oh, new thing. Cool. Cool. We're doing this now. I may forget my thought, but ah, whatever. I have more thoughts. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried. I got a ton of thoughts, <laughs> you know? So it's, that would be an interesting thing too. So I would, I would love, but I'm sure some, hopefully someone has studied this in like the workplace or whatever of like actually measuring the amount of times people are interrupted versus the amount of perceived times that they are, they, they perceived that their interruption. Cause it really, if things don't bother us, we don't really notice them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh gosh. There's so many tendrils of that one. Um, it's funny though, the way you put that, because I'm still making my way through hospicing modernity, which is, a, oh, yeah. an ex it's an exceptional book. And I just literally today read the part about box head and, um, she's using that as a way to describe anybody who, uh, you know, thinks in a box, like there's so many yeah. different modes of thinking that, and, and and she's not even she actually explicitly says i'm not demonizing that i'm saying you know if you want to like build an airplane or something you damn well better be thinking in a box <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah yeah but it's you know less less useful if you're maybe trying to build a relationship or explore some you know yeah. very complex problem or something like that yeah and i'm um, very box-like in my thinking but i picture my boxes as like um like a drawer at a letterpress facility where it's a box with like a ton of boxes in it and i rummage i rummage from box to box or whatever i can i think i can shift between boxes quite often but i am still boxy for certain um but i'm non-linear you know what i mean i'm not i certainly am not a think inside the box person i literally like anytime someone tells me there's a box i'm like really then what's outside of it um <laughs> but i do i think in little boxes and i you know and I mean, she even points out like, like, oh, there's lots of boxes. There's lots of ways yeah. to be trained. And even some of the things in social justice uh, are also, are also boxes are also like, sure. just, yeah, we got time and time again between us, like, well, anti-racism as per perhaps a very specific mm -hmm. kind of box and kind yeah, of frame, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, to look at that is in some ways instructive and in some ways limiting because it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's how you can carry, you can carry a lot of material in it, but you can only fill it so far. So I wanted to, I kind of have no idea where we are in time, but uh, maybe a couple of things uh, to touch back in on schools and then, and then go into the potentially massive, um, you know, uh, rabbit's nest. I don't know. Rabbits have nests now deal with it. It's free speech. Um, <laughs> Uh, rats of Nim, anybody? Yes. Uh, uh, of of technology and social networking and free speech, because that's I don't know that may even be episode two. I don't know. But, oh, fascinating! Yeah. But schools, 
because that was the article you sent that I, I thought was pretty fascinating. And in fact, I know somebody at the top school, University of Chicago on that yeah, list. Yeah, shout out you, University of Chicago. Big ups, guys. You're doing something right. And I, get, I almost want to pull it up to make sure I get the wording right. But was it like the most free speech? This, this, this report um, from FIRE, uh, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, uh, it released its third annual college free speech rankings for the 2022-2023 school year. And they surveyed nearly 45,000 students, more than 200 colleges. And yeah, University of Chicago came first for campus free speech uh, with Columbia University of New York ranking last. Mm. So I, yeah, I think that's, I, we've already said a couple of times, I think we're in, I don't always like this phrase, but I will say violent agreement. Uh, why does that <laughs> violent? I don't know. Yeah. That college uh, is is a place uh, where free, where speech ought to be free. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, and um, and I think that aspect of college I've always tried to like haul into the real world, um, and haul into because to me is the most vital thing. Like the little things I learned about acting were great. Uh, other things I learned, like getting my degree, is sort of helpful. But that free exchange of ideas, like this this enlightenment reasoning, this sort of liberal um, ideology, I just think is so monumentally helpful for me because also because I, for me specifically, um, not just like from my perspective, but for me specifically, because I have struggled in the past, although I'm hopefully getting better at it over time of life, um, identifying energies or nonverbal cues and that sort of thing. That's just not, has not in the past been a great strength of mine or a bailiwick. Uh, so I like verbal saying the things out loud or writing the things out loud, I think is so helpful, certainly to me. And I'm like, oh, this is certainly for me, the best way to move through the world This is saying these things out loud and disagreeing openly. And we can do it over a beer, we can do it over social media or whatever. And I think to me, this actually just to run it in social media, since you mentioned that, like, I think that collegial uh, atmosphere is something that I looked at social media as oh, great, we'll be able to keep doing that <laughs> on social media. Like that's even getting on a, like getting onto a freaking Friendster or MySpace or whatever. I was like, oh, great. We can kind of keep this thing going. Now, obviously, like I got onto Friendster getting out of college. So then likewise, Facebook, all the, you know, came out of a college-based thing. So it has that origin. And I was like, the most useful thing about college is all these different people with different experiences and different ideas coming together and kind of arguing stuff out. And then you get to like sort of gain a multicultural understanding of thought expressed in speech, received in speech and expressed in speech. And so I think I've long longed for social media to be that, which is one of the reasons I'm so like monumentally concerned about censorship in social media. And the recently, I don't know if anyone's been paying attention, but the um, uh, attorney general in Missouri has uh, received a, a number of documents through a freedom of information request, I believe. Um, highlighting that the the White House, the FBI, like the government, many, many officials, up to like 45 different officials in the government have been actively involved in censorship of people's speech, not harmful speech, just speech, not threatening speech, I mean, 
people's speech on social media, which means the government is the government is the one by proxy is basically using a, a go-between to violate the First Amendment. This also happened. We saw this stuff in the Alex Berenson Twitter lawsuit that it was direct. There was direct contact by the government to social media companies. Basically, to me, it was like it's starting to kill the collegial atmosphere of what social media is like bring everyone can bring their ideas into the marketplace of ideas but when the government seeks to then impose upon them that is that to me that's like so far beyond the pale i mean it's, it's a direct fire it's a i guess a proxy direct violation of the first amendment and i get so deeply concerned because there's already so much of that already happening like you talked about internally from group to group where there's already like internal censorship happening where people will be excised for certain expressions of thought and that's how every group any group in the collective of humanity organizes themselves there are things that are verboten or acceptable to every group so i understand that part but certainly when like arguably the power the seat of power uh, begins to restrict that um it it super bums me out, man. Um, and it's also, I think, phenomenally dangerous. Like it's not even like the slippery slope of where this could go. It was like, oh yeah, no, it's already, we're already down the slope. And I and I that leads, that's like a grave concern, you know. And of course, one of the reasons we're doing this podcast where it's like, well, we're gonna keep talking about stuff. <laughs> you know. Well, I wanna I wanna actually get into some of the ways where you've been. Uh, censored or some of your content's been taken down before we jump to that um so oh gosh i just lost it <laughs> hold please yep i was just looking at our alma mater uh which is oh wow there's this whole section for warning schools whoa yeah how is northwestern university that have policies that and consistently state that it prioritizes other values over a commitment to freedom of speech. Interesting. Mm. Uh, no, we didn't. We did not do well. Northwestern University is number one hundred ninety-seven. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not too near the top. <laughs> you know, it's only, only like I don't know six above Columbia or something. Yeah. Um, so the other thing, actually, again from hospicing modernity, it's just really fresh on my mind. You know, she's actually, she is a teacher. Um, and it was funny, she tells this whole story about uh, like this amazing like conference they held, but to to bring in indigenous folks, you know, into the um, college environment and really how much work, it, how much labor it really took to negotiate and to, to adjust things uh, to really make them feel comfortable because there's so many indigenous folks associate schools with uh destruction of their culture and yeah straight up kidnapping yeah all of that um and 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 then she was like sitting at, at lunch i think with some indigenous youth and trying to explain what she does and then one of them said uh oh i get it you're an anti-assholeism <laughs> <laughs> like, that's exactly it and yet I can't, she's like, that's the most accurate term for what I do anybody's ever gifted me. And yet I cannot use that term in my institution. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, like culturally speaking, it's off-putting outside of this format in which we discuss it. And, and a lot of the point was about the constrictive nature of academia, just as a general phenomenon. Yeah, sure. 
which I, I see, you know, certainly. Um, so it's, it's, it's a paradox. I mean, I think in some pockets, in pockets of academia, I think are these places that we're, that we're lauding for free speech and, and just kind of say what we want and explore thoughts and really define who we think, who we are and what we think. And I mean, without that, I mean, I mean, it doesn't have to be college by any stretch. That's that's no. um, not accurate, but to have some some spaces to do this. Yeah. Um, you know, which is a lot of what my work has been in the last several years. And yet, and yet, you know, you know, I, I've been attempting to build a community where each group could kind of set its own protocols. Like we, oh, cool. we, did, we have values and we have kind of what we call the five invitations to feel real, but we, but none of that is like totally parochial in the mm -hmm. sense that like you must do this, you must address people this way, you must um, use this like specific kind of language, um, which, you know, is intriguing because we, all of us involved, you know, are, are pretty deep in social justice movements, but mm -hmm. in some cases explicitly demand those things, or in a lot of cases, at least implicitly, you know. Sure, yeah, yeah. And those by nature of um, in, in being invited to participate. Um, yeah, so, so just a couple of trailing thoughts there. I'll let you close off anything with schools and then let's continue branching into, as you already did, technology and social networking. Yeah, yeah, no. Um... Yeah, I mean, to me, there is there is a linear connection, but that's just in my experience. I think plenty of people engage in the collegial atmosphere over their dinner tables at home, where they found a friend group in. And I honestly think the finding pockets of people where you can freely express the thoughts which are perceived by society and or even those people is where people begin to become more fully actualized human beings. This is like when people, the whole obsession our society has with like chosen family, right? As we sort of like begin to poo-poo a little bit the idea of the nuclear family for, and there are harms and benefits of that. Um, the, the chosen family, I actually think is built on this very concept. It's people where you can be an asshole. You can be a mess. You can be, you can make mistakes and people will not just go, well, we just accept you the way that they are. They'd be like, hey, you're an asshole. I love you. I don't accept you the way you are. I'm going to, the best of my ability, love you, which means I'm going to continually try to shape you into the best version that I can imagine you would be. And you are going to do the same for me. And that's a great thing about like in a college drop-in conversation. Sure, you can get in there just to like spar with someone, but even sparring is about like making, unless you're just, again, an asshole. Try, like, it's not trying to knock someone's block off. It's trying to like, we're trying to mutually learn how better to fight in the world, how better to fight other people. Um, and honestly, if you're a sparring partner who's constantly punching someone, just trying to literally knock everybody out, you will not be invited to camp like you were talking about. But at the same time, punching each other in the head is not out of the question. Calling each other out on their on your bullshit is actually how you identify family, right? Because we also hope, unless we grew up in a massively dysfunctional home, which many people did, then we've had that in family relationships where it's like our parents or whatever have corrected us and been like what you're doing is completely wrong <laughs> and yet they still gave us dinner hopefully at night you know what I mean or give us breakfast the next morning if we were punished over dinner or whatever in which case you have a continuum of a relationship with someone despite the breakage 
And so I was like, that is all fundamental to be able to share speech and, and quote unquote, mess up or even just mess up. And then people can call you out it and then you can prove they're wrong or whatever. I mean, we, we all have this capacity to like sharpen, sharpen each other. And I, again, I see social media as, as a fantastic place to do that. And in some ways a really, a strangely powerful place to do that. Cause now everyone's dinner table conversations are, can be broadcast to the world or can reach if enough people retweet it uh, on Twitter, then it can reach hundreds of thousands, millions of people. That's pretty, I mean, it's pretty amazing. And I can understand how like units of government would be different, would be concerned about that just in terms of destabilization. Um, but that's the deal. That's the flipping deal. That's the contract. <laughs> that's the exterior, external contract. So it doesn't matter, actually. If free, if free speech destroys our society, then our society deserves to be destroyed. Is the is the agreement we made with the Constitution? So if if, our, if too much free speech destabilizes it, that's what that's what it's supposed to do. That's why it's there. That's why you're talking about like, oh, we have a disagreement. We have a different thought about things now. But what if it leads to this? You're like, yeah, that's why we agreed to it before. We don't. It's this is, and I I have this premise generally as a Christian. Like we need a. There actually does have to be a a monolith. Uh, there has to be a hard and fast rule outside of ourselves, or we as human beings will always just change it. We'll always just modify it to kind of like better suit our comfort. But pursuing dis, but sticking around in discomfort is what builds strength. It's what builds strong relationships. You know. Mm, beautifully said. Um, and I did want to. I've, I've mentioned this book a couple times, Hospicing Modernity, but in the context of relationships and yeah. Being human, I want to actually mention the author, yeah, uh, Vanessa Machado de Oliveira, which hopefully I pronounced correctly. Um, so let's talk about um, social yeah, networking. Yeah, land the plane. Let's land the plane in social networking because I know I know you have to go visit your father at some point. I do. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I really feel like this this could be so big. Um, I think let's keep it close in, right? So you shared recently a, a couple times where your content has been taken down by yes. at least Instagram, maybe only Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm more active on there in terms of my, that's Instagram is whatever 90, 80% of my social life. Um, it's owned by Meta, Facebook, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've had I've had multiple I've had quite a few uh, pieces of content taken down. I've been shadow banned many many times, where my numbers will drop to pretty much a third, anywhere from a third to a sixth of what they normally are, um, based on the subjects that I'm sh I'm sharing things on. And I've had content pulled that was screen uh, screen caps of studies. Um, I'm super cautious on social media in my writing. That's where I kind of engage the edit process. Uh, I will certainly say things in strident fashion, um, but I don't share anything that I couldn't back up with monumental amounts of reasoning and or evidence. So it's always irritating to me when things get um, pulled down. And then most recently, I'm, I can't do uh, Instagram lives anymore. Um, that I've had, I've had multiple, like, it's weird, they do different strike systems, but I've had things taken away from me, um, like where I couldn't access insights, or I can't, ac I can't access the little, like, uh, heart, we can see all your comments and things like that. I've had that taken away from me six or seven times. So that just, it gives, it, they won't let me see what people are saying about my things. Um, and then, yeah, most recently, they took down a reel of mine, while keeping the content up on a bunch of other places. Um, which is super weird. It's one that I didn't speak in. <laughs> it was actually just somebody else's speech that is up elsewhere on a bunch of different other web, uh, other um, 
accounts. I just literally made fun of it. Like Dan, I like did non nonverbal thing. So I, that was fascinating to me. I was like, whoa, this is this is the first reel I've ever had being pulled down where I said nothing. Wow. Yeah, it was like that's fascinating. I was like, so maybe there's more power there than I than I know <laughs> in, in shutting up. <laughs> yeah. And I've I've got a couple of glimpses if you've been able to get a screenshot or or, or something, but yeah. Obviously it's hard to track it down if it's if it's been disappeared. Yeah. Do you think what's do you have any sense of like connective tissue? I mean, I, I feel like some of it's maybe in the at least in the categories of uh pandemic and racism. Yeah. Yeah, the the pandemic for sure. I mean, that I think it's been the tip of the spear in vi free speech violations. Um, and we've already seen that go into the real world. There's a bill in California where the state legislator has passed state legislature has passed a bill about sort of medical information freedom of speech, essentially, where doctors can have their licenses removed for saying anything that runs contrary to the consensus as established by the state, by the way, not by evidence, but by the state. So the state determines what consensus is and how people are outside of it. And so that to me is horrifying because that's directly related to public health, which I would assume be our number one important thing. Um, and that has also been the tip of the spear, I think, in terms of social media censorship in general, because um, I talk about um, vaccine efficacy a lot and the effects of um, of vaccination on the populace, uh, mask efficacy, all that sort of stuff. And that stuff gets dinged quite a bit um, just through various like alert elements uh, that they can, or they put little ads on a lot of things and that sort of thing. Um, but I share evidence that's, I mean, I just share studies and stuff principally and, and, uh, and interpretations of studies by journalists and stuff like that. But um, so yeah, it's weird. It's weird to me and it's frustrating because I see it in the realm of it, it is not about suppressing. There's a popular narrative that censorship is about suppressing misinformation, which in and of itself, I don't even think is a tenable, appropriate thing to do. I think you're allowed to say things that are not true. Um, I think you're allowed to, yeah, I think you're allowed to lie. Like if, 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 you know what I mean? Um, anyway, um, I, not according to God's law. I mean, literally it's, it's the, wages of sin or death so it's it's part of your deathness and you know punished by god for all eternity but i don't know if human beings should be that um involved in it however the way i've certainly seen it work out is it's not it has nothing to do with pub, like punishing misinformation or disinformation it's just literally anything that runs contrary to a sort of a general narrative or whatever um and i've posted i think about six or seven i told you so's over the past year um as an actor and a writer person who just shares evidence and then people are like it gets dinged or taken down sometimes or shadow banned because of it and uh or pa little fact checks they put on it and then within a year or so all of a sudden that's not misinformation anymore so we know that generally that's not a real thing and so i'm very skeptical about anyone's claims of like well we're we're censoring this because of this harm that comes from this when really at least so far i've not seen any evidence of them of, of the things being said having any connection to harm other than speaking out against essentially like false false narratives or false impressions using just evidence and data and that sort of thing so it which to me again is the whole this is the whole point of free speech right we're all allowed to be like i found this yeah well i found this this study says this oh, okay well this study says this that's what that's exactly what you should be doing especially in a public health emergency we should be like trying to figure out what the heck's going on but there was this weird thing that happened over the past couple of years where it was like, no, we're, no one's allowed to figure anything. Just do what they tell you, essentially. People were like, yeah. just, and I was like, that is 
no, no, none of us believe that. Why are we, that's what blew my mind. Why are we saying that? Nobody believes that before the pandemic. No, I don't know anybody who believed you should just do what the government tells you. Right. And and I think there's a connection here where it's, the, it, it, yeah, it's like, if you're going against the consensus, the dominant yeah. era, you're flagged as the enemy. Uh, and that, that to me feels quite dangerous. I remember when we were, you know, we, we, we launched, we published two episodes of the abortion conversation. We shelved two of them. Mm. And some of the commentary about you was that you were dangerous. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's, that's like in here somewhere, right? Because we, yeah. well, me really, I, I don't, I think you're okay with it, but we do have a consensus <laughs> format here where we, we both need to agree to publish an episode. Yeah. Uh, Whereas I, I really wanted to be careful because I, I gauged that it was a kind of topic that, um, you know, I was sort of insecure about in terms of my research, my position, and, you know, it helped me move through some of that. Um, but this idea of dangerous, like when is free speech dangerous? Yeah. I almost want, I almost want to like change the question for the day is, is, <laughs> is, speech, is free speech dangerous? Yeah. But when is it dangerous? That's fascinating. And I think you know, what you're describing is like, well, what's the real danger there, right? That, like, you know, and, and I was certainly, as we talked at Najib, <laughs> about more on the side of, hey, we should just kind of, Come on toe, in, just kind of toe the line here. And, and it's really yeah, cool. it's hard. Um, well, it's hard to know, right? Yeah. I mean, so then this is, this is the, like, why it's a constitutional amendment or whatever, is like, this is, no, this is the principle we all believe in. The, the we have the freedom of speech in which case that's not it would actually be dangerous not it's more dangerous not to speak because that's what we all agreed to hi we have a visitor is this going to be the first guest on our podcast you yeah you can't hear him would you like to hear him yes go ahead um Daddy. yes i don't know what he said oh he was just uh -oh. saying can you hear me no can you hear me can you hear him now Hello, can you hear me? No. Oh no, I can't. I have to. I would have to switch the mode. All right, there'll be no speaking. Sorry, buddy. Do you need anything, my sweet darling? No. no? Oh, okay. You can just hang out if you want. Feel no. free to sit in the room. No, I'm okay. Um, we can Any blue kiss to you? Blue one back. There you go. Um, but yeah, like for for my children. Just my daughter just walked in the room and then departed, um, eating a banana. But you know, for the, for the for the children's future, I want my kids to be able to say sloppy things and messy things, and at the so I think that's uh, yeah no it's it's uh, I think it remains monstrously vital, and I don't and I truly don't understand what the quote unquote danger is. To me, it just it seems like it's the and we just saw this with the Biden speech like a week ago where he he labeled around half of the country, MAGA Republicans, right? And I'm assuming in the broadest sense that I mean anybody who voted for Donald Trump. So 70 million people, 70 million people are like a threat to democracy, literally called them dangerous. Now, I think that's with his power and influence, I think that's bannable from Twitter when you call half the half the voting population, uh, not half the country, but half the voting population. Um, so I think it's like more like a quarter of the country, uh, a danger. Then someone's going to go. Well, I better take that danger out. The president needs me. Somebody, 
It's, it's, it's wildly irresponsible. I would say that's irresponsible speech. That's dangerous speech and it's misinformation. It's disinformation. Like it's all those things. And yet at the same time, I think President Biden should be allowed to say things that are not true like that. And, and even it borders on threat. Like it borders on, you know, and, and I, I, don't, I don't like it. I think it's super dangerous, but I don't see the benefit of saying, well, he can't say that. You're, you're not allowed. You mustn't. Yeah, I mean, I was I was in a, I don't know, it was probably a year ago or something, in a social justice setting where somebody, you know, accused those 70 million people of being evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was just like, what? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. yeah. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm down for that. I mean, I think that should be allowed, but that has to be, that's a, you're allowed to say that. But oh, of course. My goodness, my goodness we, we have to speak against that would be a moment you have to speak as well. And again, I'm like, oh, that's fine. I just don't, again, as a Christian, I like the egalitarian of all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you could just say everybody's evil. And I'm fine with that. To me, it's really weird. It's just, I'm not even going to put a cute word on it. It's just weird when you're like, the people who don't think like me are evil. You know, like if a Christian was like, well, we're good. And everybody who doesn't think like Christians, they're the evil ones. Like I'd be like, well, you're not a Christian. Then that's a, that's not that is, that's not a, by the Bible, which is our constitution essentially, by our fundamental, our foundational document. That is that is inaccurate. And I don't. I I think that general that type of thinking in general is fright, like full on frightening, and 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 just weird. It's just weird. What do you mean? What do you mean they're evil? How are they more evil than you? Like what? Well, I I don't. I don't know. And I think there are evil, especially evil people in the world. I'm not saying there aren't. Um, there are people who who actively engage in malevolence as though it is their calling in life. But to just be like, oh, 70 million, these 70 million people by an arbitrary standard of who we voted for, um, that's a that's a that's a bridge way too far for me, you know. Me too. I was like, I just yeah, I, I, you know, I could make lots of guesses about why she said that, but I'm like, sure. I that's hard for me to wrap my my mind and my ideology around. <laughs> just like I don't, and I think you, I think that's something you and I have in common is not wanting to slip into this character indictment space, right? Because of how somebody voted, or because of how somebody thinks, or what they say in the context of this episode. No, and you want to figure it out together. Like I think, I mean, I would say abortion is evil because I'm like, oh, that's the active killing of like the most innocent human beings on the face of the earth. But at the same time, I'm not like, and you think differently, Andy. You should not be able to speak about this thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm, I'll say it's evil. And nor am I going to be like, well, got to get. You're a threat to democracy, Andy, because you believe in this thing that I think is evil. I'm like, I even with the evil people, like. Even the people you think are evil. This is now, and maybe people can already hold this in their in in their hands. But I think my concern is people can't hold that you can think someone's evil and still love them, interact with them, learn from them, et cetera, et cetera. My concern is when people say something, somebody is evil, that they're like, so then if someone is truly just evil, let's be honest, the only salient result is extermination. Like you should kill those people. Like they would be better. It would just be better if they weren't alive, you know. And I don't think that's good. It could be a future question. What is evil? <laughs> yeah. And I don't mean Evanston, Illinois. <laughs>
Well, let's see. Do we answer the question? Hmm. Is speech free? Uh, speech is naturally fettered. It just it is a mechan. It is it is less free than thought in and of itself. So certainly, no, it isn't free. Uh, but in a society, uh, speech should be free. So no, but it should be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I'm if I'm catching your drift, the very nature of constricting energy and sound waves into like a very specific form means it's constrained like out of the box yeah uh, immediately in the box, out of the box um and yet within that container i yes i i i i am on that wavelength that speech uh, ought to be free i think in a lot of cases it's not or it's or it's being highly questioned at this moment in our evolution yeah culture. yeah uh, where when it when it is free and when it's constrained and what's the right thing to say and what's the impact of saying the wrong thing all of that stuff um and and yeah we can figure out if we're going to do a part two but i i do feel like really digging into because there's a lot of people obviously talking about what what is the nature of free speech on on these social networks which yeah i it just to tease it out a little it's like well it's strange because these are private corporations yeah but think of them almost like public utilities which is yeah. the way we and there's some people making that argument that they ought to be um yeah but they're not <laughs> yeah well and they're and they're working on behalf of the I mean, we have evidence now like actual evidence at this point um of they're working on behalf of the government so it's a little corporatist which is what Mussolini called fascism I know it's been a big term in our thing and I'm not I'm not saying see they're fascists I'm just saying that is an aspect so it's like that word is being used for a reason it's something we're all wrestling with as a totalitarian totalitarian state anti-free speech for example um but we're seeing that then so then we're now we're in an especially dangerous quagmire because we already kind of assumed it was happening because the White House would say things out loud that they should do these things, but now we've discovered there's actually been back and forth communication over the past two years of the government directly involved, like highlighting people that were supposed to, they wanted them to censor and they're doing it. So we have a, we're in a weird time, man. And at the same time, I think there's this prevalent thing in society of a greater degree of censorship. We're kind of in like the second arrival of what used to be like PC culture, but like but now it's back like 40, 40 or 50, 40 years later as like a different thing. So it's like, we're in a very, like free speech. Yeah, I think I don't think there's been a time period, certainly in my lifetime, where free speech has been as under attack as a general, as an assumed shared principle. Like we're all in etiquette school. <laughs> yeah. We like it or not, but nobody agrees on the etiquette. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, no one agrees who the teacher is, yeah. Cool, well, I, I enjoyed our exploration. Yeah, thank you for engaging in some free speech with me. Yeah, let's hope we don't. Can can we get banned? I don't know. I think we're out there. Are we on Web three yet? Maybe we should uh, put this on some blockchains so it can't be unfreed. Try to stop us. I love you. I love you. Enjoy your family. I will. Enjoy yours. Bye. Bye.